and welcome to Geoversive's Earth Intelligence Podcast. I'm Don Shelby. Joining me today, Joseph Robertson, Executive Director of Citizens Climate International and Lead Strategist for the Climate Smart Finance Initiative, as well as the founder of Geoversive. Our guest today is Dr. Benjamin D. Santer, one of the most decorated and published climate scientists in the world. Most of his historic work has taken place at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories, but he's spent a great deal of time at East Anglia, as well as the Max Planck Institute. Joe, say hello to my friend, Ben. Hi, Ben. Welcome. It's great to have you here. Don, Joe, great to be your guest. Ben, if Michael Mann has become the lightning rod for deniers and skeptics and organized opposition to science and the fossil fuel industry, you became the most reviled and pursued by those same interests. And all of it had to do with a few words that you wrote as lead author of the eighth chapter of the IPCC's second assessment. You wrote these words, never, by the way, written by any scientist before. And I'm quoting here. The balance of evidence suggests a discernible human influence on global climate. Discernible human influence. It was the first major step in the developing certainty over the causes of climate change. And it was that scientific finding that set the dogs on your heels, Ben. And you had loosed a monster that was bent on destroying you and your family. You need to write a book, my friend. I intend to. That's the next chapter in my scientific career, telling the story of what happened back then in 1995 and why the discernible human influence finding really matters to us today. What will you tell us in a book like that? Well, I will take you back 26 years to this famous meeting in Madrid in Spain in November 1995. What happened there? The governments of the world, nearly 100 countries, were gathered together for three days in Madrid in the beautiful Palacio de Congresos to look at two things, the so-called summary for policymakers of the second assessment report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and to go through that summary word for word and approve every word, and also to go through the underlying scientific chapters, there were 11 of them, on which that summary for policymakers was based. And as you mentioned, Don, at the end of these three days, the bottom line finding was those crucial 12 words. The balance of evidence suggests a discernible human influence on global climate. It was very different from the first report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change back in 1990. That first report had basically concluded the jury's still out. We can't tell whether humans are affecting climate. We suspect there's something there, but we can't do signal recognition yet. The key thing about the 95 report was the statement from an international body of scientists who had worked for nearly two years on this report we see a human-caused climate change signal, a warming signal, in observations. And that was, that was critical. It was, in retrospect, the first time the international scientific community said, humans are now active agents of change in the climate system, not just innocent bystanders. So as you mentioned, 
a lot of really powerful countries, corporations, and individuals did not like that discernible human influence finding. It was bad for business. So what did they do? Well, one of the most vocal opponents of that finding was an organization called the Global Climate Coalition, a consortium of energy interests. In the spring of 1996, they published a short screed entitled The IPCC Institutionalized Scientific Cleansing? This was at a time when ethnic cleansing was going on in Bosnia. So the title of this document was odious. The content of this document was also odious. It argued incorrectly that the chapter for which I had been responsible in the IPCC report, Chapter 8, which dealt with detection of climate change and attribution of causes, had been systematically purged of all discussion of scientific uncertainty. That was wrong, demonstrably so. In fact, 20% of the chapter was explicitly devoted to discussing uncertainties and observations of climate change in computer models of the climate system and in the statistical methods used to make inferences about whether there was or was not a human-caused warming signal. But this was pre-internet, so the Global Climate Coalition and others could make these kind of false assertions. And once those assertions were out there, it was more difficult to rebut them, uh, particularly because Cambridge University Press had not yet published in the United States the IPCC's second assessment report. So for me, looking back now from 2021 to the world of early 1996, this was the beginning of systematic disinformation in climate science. Here were these powerful elements and entities uh, trying to deny the science of climate change. And one of the ways they tried to do that was by shooting the messenger. Like it or not, I was the messenger for the discernible human influence finding. So I had to respond to these incorrect criticisms about scientific evidence, about process, and indeed about my own personal integrity. We fast forward to 2019. You reached a conclusion based on a complete analysis of all the data and found a what is known as five sigma, five standard deviations away from the mean. The press said it's a one in a million chance, but I think that I remember that it's something more like three and a half million to one. So if you use a binary figure for our international audience listening, if you were flipping a coin, you would probably find out that using a five sigma standard you could flip it three, three million and a half times and come up with one head. A remarkable finding that uh, stated uh, forevermore for science that climate change is human caused, primarily by fossil fuels and land use. I want to congratulate you on that. Thank you, Don. That paper is not an individual paper. 
So detecting, identifying a human-caused warming signal in observations is something that the scientific community has been working on for 40 or 50 years. Many, many scientists around the world deserve credit for that Five Sigma finding. So the Five Sigma finding is included in a paper that was published in 2019. And the paper looks at satellite temperature measurements of global warming in the lowermost layer of the Earth's atmosphere. I couldn't have done this work with my colleagues without the satellite temperature measurements. These are things of beauty. These measurements, which have been available since late 1978, look at the emissions of microwaves from oxygen molecules. And those emissions depend on the temperature of different layers of Earth's atmosphere. By measuring at different microwave frequencies, you can literally back out the temperature of different deep layers of the atmosphere. Satellite temperature data have been revolutionary, really, for us uh, because they give us a global perspective on changes in climate. You transcend the local, the individual thermometer measurements at individual locations on the Earth's surface. You can truly look at how the entire temperature of the lower atmosphere has changed now from 1979 through to the present. And that information has shown us that the warming signal far, far exceeds our best estimates of the natural climate variability of the system. So it was quite a journey to work on satellite data and work on fingerprint detection. But the beauty of the journey was that it was not a solitary journey. It was a journey that I was privileged to make together with satellite remote sensing experts, with experts in climate modeling, with statisticians. And that journey, that shared journey, has been perhaps the most memorable aspect of my career in climate science. Even before the discernible human influence finding, the 1992 Climate Convention ratified by the administration of the first President Bush, included the mandate that countries work together to prevent dangerous anthropogenic interference with the climate system. So the understanding that there would be a threshold after which global heating gases would have a discernible impact, that scientific understanding was there, but we didn't yet have, as you said, the signal, the clear readable signal that human influence was causing warming, that we had crossed that chemical threshold. Is that a fair characterization? Absolutely, Joe. I'll take you back even further than 1992. If you go back to 1979, the National Academy of Sciences in the United States had commissioned something that was later known as the Charney Report. This was a group of climate scientists, very eminent scientists led by MIT's Jewel Charney. And they concluded back in 1979, so well before the discernible human influence finding, that there was grounds for 
serious concern about human intervention in the climate system. And that if we continued to burn fossil fuels and increase levels of heat trapping greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, the planet would warm. The Charney report in 79 said most probable warming would be for a doubling of atmospheric CO2 at the lower end, 1.5 degrees Celsius, at the upper end, 4.5 degrees Celsius, that even at the lower end, that magnitude of warming would result in significant socioeconomic impacts. So well over 40 years ago, climate scientists understood that human-caused climate change was likely to be a serious problem. What was significant about the second assessment report in 1995 was the signal detection that for the first time, climate scientists are saying on the basis of at least a half a dozen different credible peer-reviewed studies, we see the handwriting on the wall. We see the signature, the pattern of human-caused climate change in observations. And that was new. That was different. Thank you. That That is so important. And I think for people who don't have the history, that fa- that's a, a great foundational insight to understand that what was different was that the signal was now detected. And it strikes me that it's at that moment that this major coordinated disinformation campaign, which included all kinds of defamation and terrible menacing behavior, I think, from those interests, It started then when the signal became evident to the public, to scientists, and then by extension to the public and decision makers. So essentially they were, I'm guessing, right? But they were gambling on the idea that no one would ever notice or that it wouldn't be demonstrable. And now here we are in 2021 and around the world, we see serious climate impacts in some of the the places that are supposed to be uh, reliably wet and cold in early spring, we already have seen fires because there is real change going on in mountain glaciers, in watersheds. Today, we got the news that Germany's constitutional court has found that climate protection is a human right. Can we say that climate change is preventable harm, knowingly caused by actions that can be avoided? Can we say that? Can we say that climate change is preventable harm? I think we can. After 1995 and the IPCC's finding of a discernible human influence on global climate, we no longer have plausible deniability. We cannot say post-1995, we didn't know. And indeed, after 1995, every major national and international scientific assessment report has affirmed and strengthened that cautious, even wimpy balance of evidence suggests finding of 1995. Compare the 1995 finding, the balance of evidence suggests a discernible human influence on global climate, with the finding of the most recent IPCC assessment in 2013. It is extremely likely that most of the warming observed since the mid-20th century is due to human-caused greenhouse gas increases. And that fifth assessment report in 2013 also famously concluded that human-caused fingerprints are ubiquitous 
We see them in sea level rise. We see them in changing snow and ice cover in every aspect of the hydrological cycle. Think water vapor, think rainfall, think runoff in major river basins. So we transitioned in 18 years from 1995 and the balance of evidence to 2013 and extreme likelihood that humans are uh, significant players in the climate system, we transitioned from looking really at only a small number of aspects of climate change, largely surface temperature back in 95, to looking at pretty much every aspect of climate change you can think of. And the bottom line from all of this stuff is that Natural causes alone can't explain the changes that thousands of scientists have independently monitored and measured in snow, in ice, in rainfall, the depths of the ocean, the top of the atmosphere. And it's that internal and physical consistency of the evidence that is so powerful and so compelling if you're a climate scientist. And it's something that, in my opinion at least, we still struggle to present to the public. The, the science is so compelling. The evidence is so strong. But most folks don't understand that we are not confined to looking at surface temperature alone. And we really do interrogate the entire climate system, every single observable we think of, in order to find evidence that maybe it isn't a big deal and maybe it isn't happening. But no matter what climate scientists have done, and no matter how hard we've kicked the tires, the message from all of this work is that humans are a dominant cause of global warming and have been at least since the 1950s. Ben, you and I cut our teeth as kids on Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and his deductive reasoning, which I would argue was probably inductive reasoning, but that doesn't matter. I became an investigative reporter. You became one of the foremost atmospheric scientists in the world to try to find out the solution to solve the crime, in essence. And you used what the police would uh, rely on as fingerprints. But you used it scientifically. Could you describe fingerprinting the signal? Sure. And I'm glad that you and I share that love of detective stories. I did indeed grow up with Sherlock Holmes and one of his dictums, it is a capital mistake, Watson, to theorize without data, always stayed with me. We need data. And the more data, the better, the more confident you can be about finding the culprit. So what is fingerprinting and why it is, is it important? Fingerprinting in climate science looks at patterns of climate change. Those might be geographical patterns at the Earth's surface. They might be slices uh, through the Earth's atmosphere from the surface right up to the stratosphere. They might be patterns that are sections through the world's oceans from the surface right down into the deep abyssal ocean. 
And the premise is that if you look at only one number, say global mean temperature, that's not particularly uh, useful in terms of discriminating between different influences on surface temperature. If you look at patterns, though, no two factors that influence the climate have exactly the same pattern of impact on the climate system, and we call that specific pattern a fingerprint. So I'll give you a, a quick example. It's been argued, and it still is argued, that the warming of now roughly 1.2 degrees Celsius, so over 2 degrees Fahrenheit, of global mean temperature since the Industrial Revolution is primarily due to the sun. It's all natural. It's due to some uptick in the sun's energy output. Well, that's a testable hypothesis. And of course, climate scientists routinely test whether changes in the sun and in the sun only could plausibly explain that global mean temperature signal. In fingerprinting, what we've done is we've looked at the vertical pattern of temperature change through the Earth's atmosphere from the surface right up to the stratosphere. And when you look at that pattern in observations in these satellite measurements of microwave emissions from oxygen molecules that I mentioned a little earlier, the satellite data show this very curious fingerprint, warming of the lower atmosphere, the troposphere, and cooling of the upper atmosphere. Now that pattern, warming low down and cooling higher up in the atmosphere, is fundamentally inconsistent with the hypothesis that a change in the sun, a more active sun, if you will, has caused all of the surface warming. If that were the case, we would expect to see a completely different fingerprint. And that fingerprint would show warming throughout the full vertical extent of Earth's atmosphere. But again, the satellite data show something very, very different from that sun-only fingerprint. And the fingerprint we actually see in Earth's atmosphere is one that was predicted over 50 years ago, back in 1967, by scientists at the Geophysical Fluid Dynamics Lab in Princeton. Suki Minabe, very eminent climate modeler, and his colleague Dick Weatherwald, using a simple climate model, increased levels of atmospheric CO2 from 150 to 300 to 600 parts per million. And what they saw in this simple climate model was when they increased atmospheric CO2, they more effectively trapped heat lower in the atmosphere, in the troposphere, and the upper atmosphere cooled because less heat was escaping to the upper atmosphere. This is in 1967. It's a true prediction. The satellite temperature record doesn't start until late 1978. Suki Manabe and Dick Weatherald could have been wrong, but they were not. Subsequent satellite data and fingerprint evidence showed exactly what they had predicted back in 1967, this curious warming low down, cooling up high, that was fundamentally inconsistent with the sun explains everything hypothesis. So that is the power of looking at patterns of climate change. Thank you, Ben.
Dr. Benjamin Satter has been our guest here on Geoversive's Earth Intelligence Podcast. We're going to have part two of our interview coming up next week. I hope you stay tuned for that. If you want to know more about Earth Intelligence and all of our podcasts, go to earthintel.org. If you'd like to know more about Geoversive, it's available at geoversive.net. Thank you very much for joining us. Join us again with Dr. Ben Satter coming up next week.